Hey friends, welcome to class, kind of. There's old Dr. Jeff Mallinson here. I spent a lot of time over the last year looking at different forms of anarchist theory and practice, and I'm teaching a class this semester on this very theme, and some of those things that I've been looking at, I want to share with you, the dear listener, as we explore for this season the theme of full-spectrum emancipation, setting ourselves free, not just in the religious contexts and the uh, emotional contexts of our lives, but also the financial, and today we're going to look at especially the political. You might not realize it, but old Taoist philosophy was riddled with, if not um, really centered around this idea of Wu Wei, um, letting go, not controlling the world, um, but not dominating the world. It's about the way of non-domination. So we're looking at this as a very old form of libertarian thought, one that is spiritual, uh, though it does not require belief in a specific set of holy texts or even gods. It's a, a very important contribution to the big conversation. And no matter where you are on the political spectrum, if you're curious at all about different ways to think about society and government within a spiritual philosophical tradition, this is the show for you. We're going to start with Sydney reading The Peach Blossom Spring. It's a great way to start out the conversation about the ideal society in ancient Chinese philosophy, especially amongst the group known as the Taoists. Thanks for being here, scholars. Glad you're with us. Let's go. The Peach Blossom Spring. In the time of Jin Taizong, a man from Wuling, who was a fisherman by trade, was traveling along the edge of a creek and forgot the distance of the route. He suddenly chanced upon a peach blossom forest. Keeping by the shore, he moved a hundred paces. Inside, there were no other trees, and the fragrant grasses were fresh and beautiful. The fallen leaves were a mix of colors, and the fisherman found it strange. He continued onwards, wanting to find the end of this forest. At the end of the forest and the creek, you got to a mountain. There was a small opening in the mountain, and it seemed like there was light, so he abandoned his boat and went in. At first it was extremely narrow, and could only just allow a person to pass. After several dozen more paces, it suddenly opened up. The ground was flat and vast, and there were neatly arranged residences. There was fertile land, beautiful pools, mulberry trees, and bamboo, and roads and paths for travel. Chickens and dogs could be heard. Within were people working, planting seeds. Men and women were clothed in strange ways. They had yellow hair and long tufts and seemed joyful and happy. They saw the fishermen and were shocked, asking where he had come from. He told them it all. They invited him to their homes, brought out wine, killed chickens, and made a meal. Once it was heard in the village that this person was there, everybody came to ask him questions. They said, Former generations fled the chaos in the time of Yin. 
bringing their wives, children, and villagers to this impasse. We have never left. And so we have been separated from outsiders. They asked what era it currently was. It turned out they hadn't even heard of the Han, let alone the Wei or the Jin. One by one, this person was asked all about how he knew, and everyone gasped. The other people all wanted to have him back to their homes, and all brought out wine and food. He stayed for several days, then made his goodbyes and left. The people there said, there is no use in telling others. Thereupon he left, got his boat, and got back out onto the way, marking it down at every point. Upon reaching the county seat, he went to see the governor and explained this. The governor then sent people to follow his trail, searching for the signs he had left. They were fat. Lu Ziji of Nanyang was a noble scholar who had heard of this and joyously set out for it, but with no result. He died of illness during his search. After that, there were none who inquired about it. Sad. So, thank you for reading this. This is the Peach Blossom Spring, and it is an old Taoist text that demonstrates this idea of Taoist anarchism. And, you know, I wanted to start out our series of conversations about different forms of libertarian experience and belief. And we often think about this idea of anarchism being something that's, um, that's very recent, or we associate it with stuff that's in the news. You know, people talking about anarchism, even this morning as I look at the news, last night there was a small demonstration that did end up with a dumpster fire and some uh, vandalism. And they say, ah, this is Antifa, these are the anarchists, and so that's what people are thinking about. And so before tackling this idea of full emancipation and the way in which some of this is going to be political and economic, definitely spiritual, I think it's important for us to start with the ancient Chinese form in, in the Taoists, and then soon we'll look at Christianity, or the early Jesus followers, we'll look at Taoism in the more modern context, we'll look at Emma Goldman, and um, uh, did I say Taoism? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll look at, uh, not Taoism, but anarchism, uh, or libertarian thought, uh, emancipatory ideas, and we'll just talk about them so that we can you know, both learn something, but also think about what's possible for our own lives on a day-to-day basis. So now in this peach blossom spring, you know, again, the idea is here's this, this kind of Shangri-La. What's interesting, there was a novel called, uh, what was it called? Uh, Horizon? Low. There was, a, there was a novel called Lost Horizon, and it actually has one of the characters in it is named Charles Mallinson. That's something, you know, kind of interesting because a lot of Mallinsons are Charles. But it's that same kind of theme. It's a utopian Shangri-La. You're, you're coming to a place that has been lost and the reason that makes a lot of sense, whether it's science fiction or, or fantasy, is that it allows you to create a universe and to just kind of make it a thought experiment to see, you know, if it would make sense. And what's interesting about these people that were all kind of hidden away in this paradise kind of village and society is it does reflect a lot of what we'll see in the Tao Te Ching, chapter 80, where it describes the ideal community. So there seems to be some connection there. But the first thing that kind of, I think, is strange about it is that they tell this fisherman, don't, don't tell anybody about it. And I'm just curious, why would 
why does he do that? Like, do you have any do you have any thoughts on why he would do it? Because I'm not quite sure. I feel like they're distrustful of outsiders. Like they think that outsiders are going to come in and fuck up their whole system or something like that. And you know that's possible to like use good judgment, but I don't think that it's necessarily benefiting them to close themselves off in the space of only these people thinking one way and not want to expand their knowledge, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And it's a weird, it's a weird one though, because we've come across these, right? You'll see, you'll see some kind of community and people are having a good time, but on one, one hand, you don't want to tell anybody about it, right? Like you find a good place, you find some really beautiful part of the country and like you don't well, want to... Well, and I think human nature is like naturally... Um, People are kind of selfish and worried about self-preservation, too, a lot of times, rather than sharing in a community, you know? But the fisherman, then, he goes on, and he does tell the government, Yeah, which is, which is kind of weird. That well, is I, strange. Yeah, and I would think, um, as far as, well, as far as the people, like, what, if you're going to tell the government, then the government might try to come and govern <laughs> over that. Ah! Over them, right? That's the idea, yeah. Um, And then the other thing would be, I mean, there's so many times where, um, like, we've messed uh, various communities and and, and areas, like, messed up bringing all of our sicknesses and stuff, you know? Yeah. So that's another thing is, you know, yeah, what, you know, what sorts of diseases and weird things and germs and (laughs) whatever (laughs) might we bring or might people bring um, from the outside, you know? And I think that's, that's, I guess, possible. what's in- interesting about this from the start is this idea that we think civilization is this great idea. But here's this ancient text that's saying, maybe you don't want civilization to find you. Maybe civilization's the problem that you're trying to, to keep out. Mm-hmm. And so even though they might want, I mean, they seem very nice to the guy. They say, hey, you can stay here. But who mm-hmm. you cannot be is an agent of some state or some government. Right. And he does. He goes, now, the other question that comes up in this is, well, he tells the government and they go looking for it. And even a scholar goes looking for it and they can't find it. Any ideas why you can't find it if you're the government? Because they're not like participating in that system. So they don't have records of them or trackings on them and what, you know, all they don't things. have the map. <laughs> Maps. They're not on the map. Yeah. Maps, That's you know. And then sometimes now it's when an Apple map. Yeah. And so I mean, when we develop maps, we don't like it doesn't look as if like you're missing a whole portion of something, right? It your map looks probably somewhat complete. So if you're not seeing where they could be on the map, <laughs> it might be right. harder to find it. But you also have to probably um well the people are going to have to be there to receive somebody. And if they see somebody floating along or whatever, they might make themselves scarce, you know, and not really greet or allow, you know, um, I don't know. Anyway. I, I, I like this idea, though, of the not being on a map because I think there's part of it uh, in that story. I mean, if, if I'm not reading too much into it, there's this idea of uh, the government in a certain sense cannot properly evaluate its opposite, which is anarchy. It cannot evaluate freedom because it doesn't understand it. And people who are authoritarian, they can't find the village because they can't find it spiritually. Does that make sense? So you would have to be fishing and not trying to get somewhere, and then enlightenment comes upon you, you know, but mm-hmm. it's not, uh, it's not a, a thing that you can actually do even as a scholar. So you can't do it as a state. You can't even do it as a scholar. There has to be some way in which 
you're just living naturally, and then you come across folks. In any case, uh, I don't think a lot of people immediately think that ancient Taoism is anarchist, but I, I think it's it's pretty clear in reading it that they are archetypal anarchists. They are uh, they are demonstrating exactly the best of what anarchism could at least offer as an ideal. And there's another person who knew this. Her name is Ursula Le Guin. She was a, a science fiction writer. As I said, a lot of times science fiction likes to play with anarchist themes because it has that tabula rasa, like the blank slate. But as an anarchist, uh, she also translated the Tao Te Ching. So that's a good translation. And so it's a translation uh, that understands some of the political elements of it. Uh, but just for a little background, um, the, the Taoist tradition starts with the philosophical aspect of it, with the Tao Te Ching. And friends, if you're new to the show, you go back a couple uh, seasons, and we did a whole season, really, where we focused on the Tao Te Ching, and Stacy's going to be getting back into the flow of having these uh, Tao Te Ching reflections, and we're kind of working towards the completion of our own rendering of it, which will be available uh, online and, and for purchase as a hard copy soon-ish. <laughs> we, we always try to do our thing. Um, and Lifeway Laces. But uh, this is something that comes about at the Warring States period. This is 403 to 221 BCE. So this is old time in China where it was kind of dangerous. There are these different states. They're all at war with each other. And it didn't seem like an easy place to survive. So in many ways, the, Dao, the Taoist tradition starts as a way for individuals and villages to survive annihilation. And I'm not sure where we are today. Like, I know that we've got economic problems, but who knows how that goes. I know we've got cultural problems and so forth, definitely the environment. But just as a whole, are we optimistic or pessimistic? Now, forget about our lives. We've had all our own <laughs> things. I'm not feeling... You, mean, you think that the, what the we, country or the... Today, what I'm saying today. So in the, mm -hmm. in the ancient context with the Warring States period, the Tao Te Ching is written in this period of time when, as I said, there's chaos. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're not saying they're saying don't get more power, don't get more authoritarianism, get less. Mm -hmm. But but I guess what I'm, I mean, let's maybe start with Sydney. Like, what do you think about the the globe's future? Like, just the world. I mean, it's it's not looking great. <laughs> it's not. But I mean, I guess the best you can do is try to make positive choices while you're here the best you can but i mean i think for anyone to say that the whole scope of the globe right now is looking just dandy is fucking delusional <laughs> that would be pretty weird with the, the ukraine thing well yeah and i and i would say i mean i i think the other thing too is you're looking at okay so we are just coming out of a pandemic a worldwide pandemic yeah, lots um, of people died and I think that, um, you know, people are still a little wobbly from that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah people you forgot know? how to drive, all <laughs> to kinds talk, of stuff. To talk, do things. Uh, and, and, and it changed certain things. There was a lot of businesses that did go out of business. There's a lot Mom of... And pop shops. Yeah. Um, I think that, you know, just the way, you know, people are doing business, there's a lot more people working from home than they, you know, than they used to or whatever. And I think trying to navigate that life is also a thing, right? And like, the psychological effect of um, not going to work or leaving your home. Mm -hmm. Like you have to find other outlets for that or mm -hmm. mentally I you're think, not fulfilling a psychological need. Yeah, and I feel like prior to the pandemic, there was a lot of um, 
ways that we just kept ourselves super busy. Yeah. And, and we forgot our misery. <laughs> <laughs> right. Because we're so busy. Right. right? And then um, I think now when you're looking, I mean, especially when you look at, say, the U.S., you know, the economy is not great. We got to figure out when they're going to raise interest rates or whatever. And it's just there's inflation, uh, lots of people, I don't know, mo- moving and kind of, I don't know, regrouping. There's a, a lot of unrest. I think there's a lot of uncertainty. Yeah. People being like ripped away from their children's arms. Yeah. Well, yeah. And I think, I mean, like when I was, when me and Stacy were growing up, same part of the world as you said, um, there was a lot more exact opti- same. Exact same. <laughs> it was, a, but it was a different world. There was a lot more optimism. Yes, it was. You know, uh, the, the Soviet Union had collapsed. Everything was possible again. There wasn't any immediate threat there was a lot of optimism and hope that's also because people were living with like cardboard boxes over their heads yeah you know like if you just want to buy some pepsi and (laughs) fucking have a suburban house i guess then you know well right up until 2001 with the world trade center there was that kind of naivete that just you can look back on it it's kind of uncomfortable sometimes well since the 2000s like the access to information and the internet has obviously like totally picked up. And so, yeah. you know, we have so much information on our fingertips, tiny computers uh, in our hands, in our hands all the time. We can look up and hear like news. We know about the and, doom as soon as it happens. Yeah. You can look up anything that you want information on, you know, <laughs> I mean, who knows how um, accurate the information is that you get, but, um, but, but we have at our fingertips a whole lot more information. And so, you know, I would, I mean, obviously everybody still tells it from whatever sides they want, you know, when they're sharing a news story or whatever, but I would say that, um, I feel like it's, it was probably harder back in the day to get, you know, um, a well-rounded look at yeah. news stories. You're just because, watching sitcoms, you know, sitcoms, but you know, your local news or sure. a newspaper or whatever, but you're always, you know, and you still, obviously there's going to be leanings, but I think that there's ways to see more perspectives right. um, available to us because there's just more information out yeah. there. Um, so I think that that also, you know, it can be, um, it can be quite distressing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Cause most people, it's like the first, Thing that they look at before they even get out of their bed and then you know they're starting off in a state of despair before they even get a cup of yeah. coffee is the, <laughs> is, is the world going to end a nuclear annihilation today right yeah well so back to the wearing, wearing states period this is their world i mean they're writing this sublime stuff and it's not necessarily a safe place to be and people's families are getting you know displaced people's family members are uh like missing for a while, conscripted into the service. That's a horrifying thing to even think about. And yet they were trying not to move the world in some heavy handed way, but to allow the world to kind of naturally come back to tranquility. This is part of the idea. There was a time when everything was based on human sacrifice. And for whatever reason, whether it was famines or, 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 uh, the catastrophes of war, people no longer really believed in the old, uh, gods, as a bit able to kind of protect them all around the world. We call this the axial age in the history of religions. It's just this weird time where people move away from human sacrifice to something that's about ethics and mysticism. And so Taoism does it. Um, it just right at the same time. And again, they were, they're trying to go back to this mythical idea of primitive communal tribal elders and wise men who 
were authorities because of who they were, but not authoritarian. They mm-hmm. didn't they didn't dominate anybody. They just were looked to as leaders. And and so they thought that maybe the world could be brought back to healing through anarchism, which for them is very much about village life. So it's not about you as an individual all by yourself. It's it's about village life. Now, in these villages, you didn't have priests or or bishops the way we think of it in the West. Who's at the center of town? Who's at the center of the village? The friggin' shaman. The shaman was somebody who was going to be into dancing and to magical practices, but also probably into psychedelics, some kind of plant medicine that's taken them to some other plane and helping them see the world in a totally different way than maybe what the conventions were. And that was their job. Now, it wasn't really recent, you know, well-known, I don't think, or really well understood until recently, relatively recently. There's a dude named Wasson who had an experience in Mexico with a, with a shaman lady. And he came to this idea in the mid-20th century that most of the world religions were, were something, they were movements that started out of shamanism and profound experiences through what we call entheogens or psychedelics. And this seems almost guaranteed to be the case when it comes to um, when it comes to Hinduism, where they seem to have been mixing cow's milk with the thing that grows on cow poop, the psychedelic mushrooms. It also is pretty clear that um, you you can see a little bit of this in at least some sects of early Christianity. So there's people using things that are not just wine; there's stuff in the wine, and all around the world, this this seems to have been occurring. So in that context of this mythical world, it's strange that out of that comes something that's in some ways very unreligious, like the Tao Te Ching, mm. philosophical Taoism, not very religious. And in many ways, the Tao Te Ching tradition, uh, what, what we attribute to this guy Lao Tzu, is something that is living within the world of shamanism and also this uh, concept of Fulu, talismanic, magical Taoism. Um, it lives in that world, it mentions it, but it doesn't demand that you care about that, and it almost is uncomfortable about the superstitious nature of it. There's some profound wisdom that you don't need uh, some religious holy book to tell you about. And in fact, the Tao Te Ching itself doesn't really need to be vindicated as a prophecy from heaven. It's just observation. And if you can understand what it's saying, like 2 plus 2 equals 4, you'll realize, of course that's true. But it takes you a second. You've got to read it. You've got to understand it. And so in ancient China, you've got basically two forms of Taoism. You've got Tao Jia, which is philosophical Taoism, and Tao Jiao, uh, religious and alchemical uh, Taoism. Now, it's that second part that is interesting but is catastrophic. But it's also interesting because it tells you something about rulers. Now, there's this, this guy called the first emperor, emperor. He's the first emperor of the Jin dynasty. And his name is Shi Huangdi. And he was, uh, at least according to the Taoists, a, a total uh, bastard. He was uh, a tyrant. He was what they call a legalist. He burned a bunch of books. Um, and he was an enemy of scholars. Uh, so generally speaking, like, he is the worst guy. But this guy, uh, but this guy Shi Huangdi, was also famous because he's the guy who created that terracotta army and had that buried, if you remember that. Uh, and he also connected the diverse state walls in China to what today is known as the Great Wall of China. So he's really important. But he, he persecuted the Taoists, except he did want to steal the Taoists' 
magic for his own uses. So mm-hmm. he, he sent this guy, he was an alchemist, a Taoist alchemist, Zhu Fu, on a sea voyage. And his job was to go find the magical elixir of life, <laughs> kind of like the Philosopher's Stone, this kind of thing. The and Fountain of Youth. The Fountain yeah. of Youth, El Dorado, this kind of thing. It's, you know, kings have done this before. And so he sends his guys out, uh, and of course they don't find it, but um, it was something that these emperors wanted. And thousands of years later, in the 16th century, um, uh, there's a guy who's kind of drawing from this ancient tradition. His name is Zhai Jing, Emperor. And he appeals to this thing called the Danjing Yaozhui. And it's a, and I, for, my pronunciations are always horrible. Uh, but it's a classic work on alchemical formulas for the, you know, procuring of eternal life. And as you look in the, in the menu, or, you know, you look in the recipe book, uh, it has things like arsenic, mercury, sulfur, cinnabar. These are all toxic. So this emperor trying desperately to uh, to get eternal life. By the way, a guy who is persecuting Buddhists, which is unnecessary. Um, they're, they're sweet. Um, but he ends up dying from this elixir of life. And I think... I, it's sorry, ironic. It's, kinda, it's totally... I think I'm it, laughing, but... That's uh, a perfectly acceptable laugh. It's kind of sad. It's a perfectly that was accept- a big laugh I mean, for no. all the death. <laughs> but the irony... Well, it's, that, just, it's just the, the irony of joking, yeah. you know, yeah. and like, um, you know, taking... Wanting something so bad that it ends up being what kills you, you know, especially um, if it's like those bad things. Yes. And then, and then he's, he's also part of this thing. There's a, there's another thing that's going on at the time and it's called, uh, it's kind of like sexual, the sexual arts of Taoism. And that is, there's this idea where you have sex without ejaculating, especially with somebody who's young and that's supposed to give you more vital energy, which is creepy Can't and bad. Can't that give you cancer? Um, probably also. Yeah. That gives so like, you a, uh, Actual cancer. <laughs> yes, long term. That's not a good. And but he thought he was just going to keep his chi in him. And so there's this way in which some of the early like Taoist stuff gets just way off course and is unhealthy and is creepy. And why I think this is an interesting story is that when we look at this Taoist teaching, it is true that people in power try to wield it. They think like, oh, here's the force. I'm going to try to own it. I'm going to try to find this. Um, hippie community, and I'm going to co-opt it. I'm going to turn the hippies into um, commercial value by having them advertise products, you know. Uh, or in our case, we went to the the Reggae Rise Up Festival, and it was a total production, right? It was like eighty dollars a ticket. Uh, yes. It was it was a hustle, right? I mean, it was good. But the point being, these the 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 people who are in power think that they can own it, but in many ways, it is. It is self-destructive. Like you can't, right. you can't do it. Well, and, and whenever, yeah, like whenever somebody sees something that works, right? And yeah. That, and like, wait a minute, you know, there's something here. Then the idea is, oh well, yeah. now like now let's now let's own it. I'm but gonna own yoga. Owning it own is the very thing that destroys it. Yeah. Once again, yes. You know, basically, when somebody sees something that is beautiful or whatever, then they want to figure out how do you package that and make money off it or, mm-hmm. you know, like, yeah. how do I bottle it up and sell yeah. it? <laughs> yeah. Like the elixir. <laughs> yeah. And it turns into snake oil. It turns into hustle. But the original philosophical teachings of the Taoists, I think, is really powerful. And what they're up against, by and large, are the Confucians. The Confucians are kind of like nice Republicans. <laughs> In other words, they believe if we do what the ancestors did, if we do what the grandpas did... 
then everything will be there was a lot swell. of discipline mm-hmm. that kind discipline, of, but like yeah, not very not austere. cruel. No, I mean yeah. like um, like lots a dis- of rules, a disciplined style of life, like. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Especially when it comes to respect for elders and the family roles and all this. And so for them, they had something right, according to the Taoists, which was the way you're going to lead people is through example. So the Confucians did say, I'm going to teach you by example what a good, hardworking, upstanding, dutiful, dutiful person, right? Duty, honor, country. They're, they're nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, the Taoists make fun of them. But the Taoists and the Confucians have a problem with the legalists. The legalists were more like the dictators. Uh, they would say, here are some you know, heavy-handed rules. You're going to get your head cut off, or are you going to have a family member also get punished if you break these rules? And, uh, but more importantly, they thought you could run society by a lot of rules. And so what I like about the Taoists and the Confucians versus the legalists is they say, no, it's not, it's not really rules. It's not like laws set in stone, but it's kind of being a virtuous person. So that really just takes you to, is the virtuous person somebody who upholds patriarchy, the family structure, the state, or is it somebody who just laughs that off and kind of walks away? Those are the two ethical questions. Um, So I want to kind of hit a few chapters from the Tao Te Ching that relate to, um, through the, the, the lens of the Tao Te Ching, what a kind of anarchist Taoism looks like. This is the Tao Te Ching, chapter 18. When men lose touch with the Tao, they focus on legalism and charitable giving. This leads to scheming, then great hypocrisy ensues. Genuine love breaks down in a family, then relatives start to insist on family obligations. The nation falls into chaos, then people insist on partisan loyalty. So this is that, that idea that you don't go to grandma's birthday because you have to. You go because there's love in the family. Your family is what is organically or naturally created rather than what the rules are. Right. When, when you're doing things out of obligation rather than just the true love of yeah. wanting to be with the family, then definitely... You're sitting there with a bunch of people <laughs> that are there out of, out of obligation. Maybe one person's happy, like maybe grandma's happy or something, but, <laughs> but then the rest of everybody else is like looking at their watches and yeah. have they put in enough time and right. when is it time, when is it appropriate to, but, to yeah. get on my way? But once you see that happening, that's kind of depressing because like you realize, oh, this isn't yeah. family at all. It's the opposite. That is sad. Yeah. And this is kind of partly, you know, really, we've talked about it earlier on a couple of episodes ago. But with uh, you and Augie, said like the the mm-hmm. question of getting married. Do you think like I mean you've got some friends that are going to get married? Um, I know a lot of people who are kind of either not getting married or one of my old coworkers, Alicia, her and her boyfriend Austin have been together for seven years now, and they're domestic partners. So if I literally like one more year, we would have been marital law anyways even though we weren't married um but it's yeah yeah, it's um I think a lot more common these days for people to not have to have a piece of paper (laughs) written by the government to like allow you to be a couple or a a partnership or whatever, you know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? And that's definitely what this is saying in a way. But it's fun. And Augie and I did want to eventually do it. We just kind of wanted our wedding to be 
joyous and fun, like kind of almost like a celebration of just living and being rather than a traditional church wedding or getting married because it would make our grandparents happy or, you know, whatever else. That's exactly it. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point. That that idea of making the grandparents happy That's the confusion. Well, and I think also because we were so secure in our relationship with each other, we didn't need to like prove to each other that it was for real. You're locked in because we loved each other so much. And so that idea that when you feel like I hate this relationship, I wish I could get out of it, but the church will kick me out or the state will punish me. That sounds great if you're insecure, but in the long run, it's not helping a lot. You know, like... I'm not saying we get rid of marriage, but it is interesting that anarchists generally do make people nervous, especially around that. Like when later on, when we look at Emma Goldman, Emma Goldman will have an audience and everybody's tracking with her until she talks about free love and how she's not going to get married, even though she's like monogamous. (laughs) Um, And people just melt down, even in liberal churches. They just Mm -hmm. cannot have this, you know? That's funny. Well, no, yeah. I mean, it obviously, it takes what secure people. Absolutely. You know, need to be secure in themselves and in each other, um, as well as, you know, it's trust in the relationship. Yes. I think a lot of times, uh, I don't know, I think people feel like, like, uh, I don't know, that that little extra seal or something like that. I mean, at least it's like you have the ability to put a ring on your it finger and say this, this person's mine or yeah. whatever. And, right. I, and like, it's completely to... unhealthy when mm-hmm. it has to be done that way now, right. like, or when it's done that way. Uh, now it's completely different if, you know, if in love you're deciding to be together and make this commitment yes, towards each out other. out of happiness you know? and, and joy that you bring uh, into each other's If that's how, how you want to but go. But to the need pr- the yeah. ring um, or it's the silly. paper and all of that is more like prison. <laughs> yes, man, it's missing yeah, the point of what actually is exactly. tying together. In mm-hmm. that chapter that you read, it's like saying, when you start having to worry about that, like, well, you said, here's yeah. the ring, here's it's your It's already vows. broken down. Yeah, yeah, yeah you, like you're just, you're putting, you know, Band-Aid on a, on a sinking ship. Now, uh, in the next chapter here, what, what number you got? Yeah, this is chapter 53 of the Tao Te Ching. Even with only half my wits about me, if I travel the way of the Tao, it will be a smooth ride unless I stray off course, for it is a safe, wide-open highway. Oh, but men love to get sidetracked. Politicians' vanity projects get funded while infrastructures crumble and natural resources get depleted. They wear expensive suits, own trendy status symbols, drink the best whiskey, dine at exclusive restaurants, and have more toys than they have time to play with. This is white-collar piracy. It is most definitely not what it means to surf the Tao. Now, there's no doubt I'm bringing a little bit of my own, you know, kind of uh, English on it, as are you. And we're, we're kind of going through these translations. These are our renderings. Um, but this is definitely attacking the, the, the greedy, the hoarders, the wealthy. And in our context, it, it is definitely anti-capitalist. The idea of capitalism as a relatively modern phenomenon. You're going to have to look at all the details to this. It's not as if communism and capitalism are the only options in the history of society. They're not. But when we say capitalism, this idea where you are in a, in a worker setting where you're like a wage slave 
and you just have to worry about putting food on the table for your kids. And so you've, you've got to, you, you know, bow down before these, um, people that have the, the co companies and that the companies are their own kind of entity. That's a relatively new thing in human history. It just is. But whatever that is, this chapter opposes that before it even happens. Like if you think that that's the game, that is not the game. Um, and more importantly, you're, you're screwing up the world. So that's what government does. It screws up the world. But the government can't get out of its own way and people themselves can't unthink government they can't unthink the state because they say, well, there's all this stuff. What are we going to do? You know, like, I mean, we had this problem. Our truck gets stolen. We got to call the cops right. so we can get the insurance. But what if we didn't have insurance and we didn't have private ownership of the truck? Like if it's the mm -hmm. village truck, <laughs> like it's just a different model. And we don't, we don't realize that there is a different way. And these ancient texts are helpful. Now, I'm not sure we can do them today, but they're interesting mm -hmm. to be able to evaluate. Want to keep going? Is there another one? Well, there? I, what I would just oh. say, you mentioned yeah, about um, evaluating. And I just, I think it seems like, um, it seems like our system is so entrenched in all these things. Like, how do you start peeling off the layers, the layers yeah. you know? And then you realize it opens up a whole nother can of worms if you, you know, mm -hmm. take away, you know, I don't know, like even if you took away your health care related to your employer, you know, which mm -hmm. seems right. like a pretty sane thing to do. Um, but like then I'm sure that there's all sorts of other big things that would come of that. Right. Well, even like your driver's license, all these different things, your phones, all of it. I mean, I feel like there's no way to completely detach from everything unless you literally went into like a a forest coven or something, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. and you threw your laptop in the ocean. <laughs> and, and folks we've seen that have tried this either get hauled back into the system or they end up being in a, in a world that is depleted because of the uh, industry and capitalism around them. Like, like there are people that have lived without ever having contact with outsiders in jungles in mm -hmm. Brazil, but they're being surrounded by logging and they're being yeah. shot at and attacked because they're in the way. And so, like, it's one thing for you to, you know, to get away and do your thing, but then you kind of got to hide from the beast <laughs> that keeps right. coming. Mm -hmm. And one last comment I'll make about chapter 53 before we move on is, you know, the idea they have more toys and they have time to play with and things like that. I know we've mentioned it before, but when you go to any kind of harbor and have spent any time there, you know, like a marina, uh -huh. all of the boats that sit there, the ones that, you know, if they have storage... There is so little. That they're all at work. <laughs> the majority of these boats are used. Yeah, you know that There's some people that will use it regularly, yeah. you know, but when we had our boat, it was... We you know, used it. <laughs> but we knew that the majority of the people around us, I mean, they had people come and do work on their boats, but yeah. they didn't take them out. Sail them. I mean, I'm sure they do it occasionally, but yeah, they, they're just sitting there. And mm. occasionally they do. And a, a, a Taoist anarchist vision here of the village would say, there are boats for us to use. Right. We can all use the boats when we need the boats. Or, and there's places that people could sleep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we totally. were riding our, our roller skates past uh, tent after tent of homeless person in Venice Beach. Mm -hmm. On the left, that was what was going on. And on the right, there are all of these empty, expensive homes that people aren't using uh, in the off season and pe they're just all that space, all that, all that resource, you mm -hmm. know? So that, that's, that's kind of what, what this is, is pointing at prophetically. Do you got another one there? Yes. Chapter 58. 
When governments are non-intrusive, the citizens are tranquil and honest. When governments create an oppressive surveillance state, the citizens are dejected and scheming. Good fortune often depends on the misfortune of others. Misfortune is often latent within good fortune. Who can know the future? There is no inevitable way this will all play out. Established principles from the experts strangely turn out to be misguided. Well-intended ideas turn out to be diabolical. The more we learn, the more we realize how confused we all are. So the sage is upright without being judgy, self-disciplined without being a disciplinarian, radiant without being glitzy. What I find interesting there is that, in a way, governments and the economic system cannot work unless we're afraid of not having something, like being thrown out on the street, our kids not being able to have food. The fortunes of the wealthy require there to be poor people. That's the thing yeah. that, that this is pointing out. It's not just like, oh, well, some people work hard and then other people are poor. No, the only way you can be a super successful capitalist is if other people are doing things that you wouldn't do, Mr. Capitalist mm -hmm. or Ms. Capitalist, you know, um, unless they had not a lot of choices. That's why you go to places, you go to countries where people don't have a lot of choices. That's where you get cheap goods because they'll do the work because mm -hmm. they're hopeless, you know. So, I mean, I think that that's a big piece of this. I also... I also think that the part where it says, who can know the future? There is no inevitable way this will play out. That's a good line to... Yeah, and I think that, I think sometimes it's easy to fall into, like, what can we really do? Or what, you know... Despair mode. Yeah, despair, or, the you know, the world is never going to change, or that kind of thing, and... It certainly won't when that's the attitude that we have, right? Because right. then all, it's way easier just to keep up with the status quo or allow things to continually get worse. The problem is that's the majority of the whole world. As well as the, you, every, if people want to survive and then they're just going to figure out, well, what's the easiest way I can survive within the system? And then if they are surviving... If they're surviving and maybe maybe some are doing all right for themselves and they're like, okay, well, I don't need to mess anything up, right? And it's not until what you're at the very bottom or the system's not working for you that then it becomes to the point where something has to be done. Right. Uh, it's easy to just get lulled into routine or the status quo and to have an attitude of, well, it's not going to change or it can't change will only ensure that <laughs> the hope yeah the hope is in imagining something different or yes. make taking a step that starts with one thing that you can do or yeah otherwise there's no there's no way to start moving forward there are a few more chapters just going to catch a couple and the main reason i wanted to do this is because some people probably wouldn't realize how much of the Tao Te Ching does contain very political yeah. teaching. We think of it as maybe some new agey woo woo thing. Then you don't read it. You know, no. This is this is. There's a lot of chapters political. on government. It's a lot of chapters. That's kind of the point because what actually was happening is, a lot of these sages are trying to teach rulers how to rule without ruling. That was kind of their game. Without being so oppressive. To the so, people. for instance, chapter fifty-seven says, "When governing, be straightforward. When out foxing enemies, use cunning. 
manage the world by not trying to control it. How do I know this is the way? Like this. The more legalistic and restrictive a regime is, the poorer the people become. When people turn to stocking up on weapons, the country descends into chaos. When people start scheming in a culture, absurdity abounds. When you see rules posted everywhere, it's a sure sign lawlessness is rampant. As a sage once said, I surf the Tao and leave the people to wake up on their own. I rest in tranquility and let the people attain their own alignment. I am not intrusive, yet the people discover abundance. I rest in contentment and let people discover naturalness for themselves. There's three more. Sydney, would you read the last three? Chapter 72. When the people don't have to live in fear of authoritarian power, a greater power arises within them. Don't constrain how people live or limit how they make their living. Since a leader does not disempower the people, the people will not disempower the leader. So the sage takes herself seriously without being self-important and loves herself without being narcissistic. She embraces the former, but discards the latter. Yes. What's uh, helpful here, as you see in all these texts, that, that uh, there's this idea of naturalness. Mm-hmm. Stacey, you remember um, this concept of, of uh, poo? Um, the Uncarved piece of wood or the uncarved block. Yeah. Mm. And sometimes people say uncarved block. And why do you think that's not the best way to go? Because you're already manipulating the wood into a block. Yeah. And so <laughs> so then you buy it at the store. It's it. not natural at that point. It's already been formed into something, even though it's still waiting to be its next form. <laughs> but the natural piece of wood is, it doesn't have the same, um, the Art. wood is like, what shape will I be carved into? <laughs> yeah. The wood's all sentient. That's why I really, well, it is. I mean, that, that's what I really liked about the the flute wizard using the, the sounds of a natural piece of wood. It's not artificial, but it has that interesting character. But that's what it's about. It's like finding the driftwood, using the things that are natural in the world instead of everything having to be so contrived. Yeah, and, and really quick, on the chapter before, um, I, I always laugh when I hear... Um, the line about when there's more rules than surely like lawlessness abounds yeah. or whatever. And I feel like, um, I feel like a lot of times, especially even like families or whatever, that when, you know, somebody starts acting up or whatever, one of the kids act up, then it, you know, then the, no, this rule. And then now there's a new rule. And then, mm-hmm. you know, all these different rules, you have to get your homework done and all this stuff, you know, yeah, can't go out with friends and all these other things. And adding more rules is not you can maybe make the children appear to be following your rules. They'll be compliant. They could be compliant yeah. perhaps if they're even going to be, they might revolt harder when more rules get added. Sneak onto. out when you're not watching. But it's never going to address what the real problem is. And why is, why is this happening in the first place? Right. Well, like with premarital sex, for example, just because all of our parents at the time, like didn't like that doesn't mean that we all didn't do that. <laughs> right, you right, know? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and then more rules about, you know, where you're alone or not or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's not going to stop you. Ultimately, if that's what you're setting, you know what I mean? It's setting up to do. So it just, it just, you know, the behavior becomes like hidden more from the people (laughs) than you see, you know, less. (laughs) And in our, in our evangelical world and what we kind of found as I was researching for the, uh, the book, um, a while back was that the, 
the only real difference between people that hit, like I think it was 19 years old that were in the church mm-hmm. and then those outside the church, secular people, um, they had basically the same amount of sexual activity. It's just the Christians felt really crappy about it all the time. <laughs> so they had a lot of weight that they were carrying, but they didn't really have a different life. And it certainly is interesting that we spent a lot of time talking about what the rules were. And then what, we, what we're actually doing was talking about sex all the time. I mean, like church was about sex mm-hmm. all the time. It yeah. seemed like, well, and, you I know, know. and I'm, I haven't, it's kind of weird. <laughs> I haven't looked up at like modern statistics, but the rate of abortions is sometimes higher in the Christian communities than it is in the general population. And not just like Christian communities, but even... Or religious. Um, yeah, anything religious. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I had one former, like, well, I guess she went to school with me. And, um, you know, she had a lot of pressure on her from a young age to have perfect grades and play the violin and the flute and do all this stuff perfect, and then, you know, she just got an abortion because she's afraid of telling her parents. It wasn't even necessarily religious, you're saying? No, it, it was. Like it wasn't even religious. They were just Chinese parents that were really mm. intense yeah. and were like, you have to be successful. Yeah. And then um, she just did it out of that, mm. which mm. is just sad, you know, because she didn't want to. Mm. What's the next chapter we got there? Chapter 75. The people are hungry. They hunger because all of their superiors take a heavy cut. The people are revolutionary. They revolt because those in power oppress them. The people aren't afraid to die in a revolution when their dominators live in excessive extravagance, yet they can barely afford to exist. They have nothing to lose. So leaders who do not pursue obscene wealth are better than those who only love extravagance. When does revolution come, Mama? When you got no other options. When you feel like you're at the bottom. And there's you have nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose. One of the things that I think is interesting about anarchism, whether it's ancient and in China or right here in the Pacific Northwest in the 21st century, is that there is an ethical element to it. You could say that seems like the opposite of ethics. It's not. Anarchism is always born out of the, the question, how can I make the best life for most people? How can I have a flourishing life for myself? How can I live ethically rather than cruelly? They're always interested in not living in a cruel existence. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, this is why um, I think it's helpful for us to go back to the Chinese anarchists because they're sweethearts. You know, like you, you want to be around this kind of person. Mm-hmm. If somebody's talking like this, this is the kind of thing you want to be flowing with. All right. Last chapter that we were going to read. Chapter 80. The ideal society is a modest country with small, close-knit villages. They store sufficient weapons, but only for self-defense. They respect life and death. So even though they have vehicles, they don't use them for foreign invasion. Though they are well-armed, they don't have to put their armies on display. Instead, they celebrate and record the simple joys of their lives together. Their food is delightful, their clothes are artful, their dwellings are tranquil, and their customs are mirthful. They can see other towns in the distance. They can hear neighboring roosters crowing and dogs barking. Yet, throughout the course of their lives, they never go over to complain or quarrel. 
that to me is my favorite of all the chapters. Everything else is theoretical. That's pretty great. That's like a a great just base level goal. And that's what we're kind of yeah. I know it's and it has to be because it's it it has to be concrete. It can't be just it can't be just this kind of theoretical thing. And I love how there's the dogs barking, but no one's cool. Everyone's cool, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. Now you don't want them barking all the time because they're <laughs> upset. <laughs> it's just kind of the natural flow of things. Um, and so, if you can start with thinking with us about uh, full spectrum emancipation, um, and you hear us every once in a while talking about Jesus anarchy or spiritual anarchy or Taoist anarchy or just anarchy in general, um, we're not trying to sell you on some like political cult. We want you to brush off the the things that are holding you back with this assumption that the only way to have a good life is to have a strong state and domination and authoritarianism and uh, control yeah. of people. Well, yeah. I would say, in, and also on a real practical level, because not all of us are going to be, you know, the president of the United States or, or <laughs> another well, country. Well, the anarchists hope we don't have such a thing to go. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. Um, but in the in the areas that you do exercise some sort of authority, whether it's over your kids or, you know, through a, your work environment or whatever, uh if you do need to lead people, yes, then I think you would succeed and do quite well if you followed uh, some of the advice yes. from the Tao Te Ching on how to govern or how to lead. And it's not about you know just stamping the the will out of everybody yeah. else to well, get them to follow the be rules. The true form uh, that yeah that when you know when people are free to create free, you know, to, I don't know, dream alongside you, then you're going to be able to have so much more, um, life and, and, um, vibrancy to, uh, what, what it is that you're doing as well as, um, even with your own kids of like being able to talk with them about some of their own life goals and things that they want for themselves and listen, you know, and just see if, I don't know. Uh, I think too often we just throw a whole bunch of rules or um, have certain expectations. And then we miss out on the beauty of what each individual can contribute to a situation or a home or a work environment. Right. Also, so something I think about with or that I noticed a lot in Orange County is like kind of from the time that you're 12 every adult in your life, like your parents or whatever is like, Oh, what do you want to do with your life? Mm -hmm. And it's not because they genuinely give a shit. Mm -hmm. It's because they are like, Hey, are you going to go make money? Mm-hmm. So yeah. that that'll take care of me mm-hmm. someday. Yeah. Like that, that's what their intention and how are you is. Get into the system? And so, yeah, that's more people should focus on what their kids love or value what they do love. And, you know, listen to them in that way. And not just what, like, don't what, just ask them. Cause you're not like, just what they do. It's yeah. Not everything that they are doing. It's who they are. Exactly. And who they are is undyed silk or an <laughs> uncut piece of wood in the sense that, uh, and that's what you hope that you're going to let them spontaneously flow into beauty. This is the idea. Now I am not the first person by any means who understood this. Again, I said Ursula Le Guin is a great example of somebody who was really appreciative of the anarchist nature of the Tao Te Ching. There's a guy, if you really want the depth of it, John A. Rapp. 
He has a book called Taoism and Anarchism. Top notch. Go check it out. It'll get you deep into a lot of these texts and, and themes. And basically, I think he makes a very strong case right off the bat that um, there's this concept in, in Taoism called Wunjun, and it means princeless. So anarchy just means no archon, no ruler. So it really is there, even in, in the language. It's just we're speaking a different language. Some things that are helpful when you look at the history then are that state does not equal society. A Taoist anarchist isn't getting rid of culture. It's not getting rid of society. It's not getting rid of um, organization, collaboration, and, and order within a village. It's just that it's directly run. You don't, have, you don't have the village worried about what the emperor is doing. The village just takes care of the village, and it takes care of each other. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mess with anybody else. Like That's perfectly reasonable. Um, and you have this group known as the Weijin Anarchists, and they exist from the Warring State period, that's the period I mentioned, to the, to the Tang Dynasty. And these guys really did actively teach resistance to the state. But for them, it was a nonviolent resistance. What I like about this, or the reason this is important to mention, is some people think that Christian anarchists are the only kind of real example of nonviolent anarchism as such. Uh, and that's true. You know, Tolstoy, a Christian anarchist, pacifist. You know, that, that just goes hand in hand. But, uh, but this is prefigured by the Taoists. And what they thought they should do is undermine authority at the intellectual level. Just asking questions. Does this have to be this way? Or is the shirt I picked up, a nice uh, leftist shirt uh, down the road on Mississippi Street, um, another world is possible. I just, it's, a, it's, a, it's an old phrase that's been used, but it is empowering. Another world is possible. It doesn't mean it's going to be easy, and it doesn't mean that it's going to be perfect, but it could be a different world. And so by just asking those questions, these anarchists and the Taoist tradition were able to really, I think, make some, some powerful moves. Uh, but these guys tended to focus on the classic texts, and they understood, I think, the Tao Te Ching uh, pretty rightly. So, you know, I, oh, I, I found uh, one more chapter. I just wanted to make sure I read because it's so spot on. Chapter 60, govern a country. Chapter 60, govern a great country the way you cook a small fish. You use a light touch. By letting the Tao bring balance to the world, evil forces have no effect. Moreover, its false idols can't mislead the people, and neither will the sages. With no one to lead the people astray, duh flows abundantly. In other words, uh, the, the government is getting in the way of the way. Now, what do we think about the possibility? This is what you, dear listener, are going to join us in, is, is the possibility that there could be something that is different, that maybe there's such a thing as a generally anarchist society that the, that the globe is able to, to work on a federal system that allows for direct democracy at the, at the local level. But maybe it's not that. Maybe we could at least start with some kind of communal existence. As we walk up and down the streets here in Portland, we see people with shared uh, you know, sh- uh, living spaces and agricultural spaces, even within a city. But it's also possible, dear listener, if you want to go on this journey with us as we're exploring these things, to simply ask, where do we fit in? How much do we want to be engaged in the system and how much do we want to be able to extract ourselves? Because the, the whole principle in the philosophical Taoist tradition is you start with yourself, you move into your family, you heal your village, and then you try to be a, a, 
a light, a shining light for the rest of the world, romancing them into a different way. Now, what's interesting about the Taoists is that unlike a lot of the Christian anarchists that we're going to look at next time, like Karl Barth, Jacques Ellul, um, Barth and Ellul don't really think that it's possible to, to build a functioning anarchist society. But the Taoists think that they can. And I think the reason is proximity. The ancient Chinese were closer to villages all throughout China that were operating quite nicely without the big state. But by the time you get to the 20th century, when Bart and Alul are operating, they're living in a world that just seems inconceivable that you wouldn't have the Soviet Union and the United States and France, you know, these, these big things. As an interesting postscript to all this, it's interesting to figure out what happened to the Taoist anarchists in China after the communist revolution. And it's really, really sad. It's the same thing that happened in Russia. At first, the anarchists and the, the Marxists joined together to take on the capitalists. Because everybody knew, until recently in America, <laughs> that, that the rich guys that are crushing people's spirits uh, are doing something wrong, right? The question is, how do you get around it? How do you, how do you overcome it? So the, the anarchists and the communists, um, the Marxist communists, get together and they overthrow the system, and then very quickly thereafter, the dictatorship of the proletariat, the, the Marxist version needs to come in and then kill all the anarchists. And this is what they do in Russia, and it's what they do in China, or at least they exile them, because they can't have somebody saying that there's no state. And this is the hard thing about freedom. There is a very fine line between an individualist anarchist who is a libertarian who's a very like kind of otherwise conservative person, somebody who gets to libertarianism through the right, through republicanism, and somebody who gets to libertarianism through the left. They both believe in freedom. So I am, a, 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 I am in love with all people that want to work on the project of freedom, whether you're on the left or the right, if you want to use those frameworks of, um, of freedom. Because what you really have on the other end is people on the right and the left that want their way or the highway yeah. and you're going to die or, or at least get ruined mm -hmm. uh, financially if you don't, if you don't get on board with it. So that's kind of what happened in China. And part of the problem too, though, in China is that a lot of the time Marxism is pretty emphatic and a lot of anarchists are also emphatic uh, that, that religion's a problem. I mean, we're going to look at this for sure with, uh, with uh, Mikhail Bakunin, but there's a, a very common poster that you'll see uh, around anarchist conversations and, and spaces. No gods, no masters. No gods, no masters. And it's pretty empowering too, especially if you've come from a very um, authoritarian religious background. But what's, what's nice about Taoism is it does not require you to believe in some metaphysical entity. Mm -hmm. Right, so it's not like a religion. the The Taoist tradition is not like a religion that requires you to grovel before some god in heavens. It's just not there at all, or even it's little gods. Yeah, <laughs> no, none of that at all. <laughs> now we're gonna leave it for another conversation to see whether or not Jesus thought that you should grovel before a, a daddy in the sky. Uh, but it's clear at this point that you could be spiritual. There could be a spiritual anarchy that does not require religion by which we would say religion having a God that endorses the king and that your job is to follow the king or else you're going to essentially go to hell. Like that kind of 
triangulation Mm -hmm. is not entailed by this. I also want to mention somebody who's really cool. I think they're really cool. They're known as the Madmen of the South. And there was this one guy, the Madman of Chu. But they were cool because they they would be like beatniks that got kicked out of society because they were a little bit politically dangerous. So they sent them off to the, the, like the, the boondocks out in the South. And that's kind of where Stacy, we were with the family spending time, you know? Um, and, uh, there's just one example that just give you one example from the madman of Chu. He passes by Confucius and he's singing and he's saying, Oh, Fang, Oh, Fang, how is your virtue degenerated as to the past? Reproof is useless, but the future may still be provided against. Give up your vain pursuit. Give up your vain pursuit. Peril awaits those who now engage in affairs of government. Confucius alighted and wished to converse with him, but She Yu hastened away so that he could not talk with him. So there's this idea of the anarchist is almost like playing a song. You almost like see him as like a little minstrel. He's got long hair. He looks wild. Um, and they called him crazy because they seem crazy. <laughs> if you're not living in the system, you just seem crazy. Mm-hmm. Maybe one last thing. Stacy, we know this from translating it. The main theme throughout the Tao Te Ching is Wu Wei. Mm-hmm. Action without action. It's effortless action or not acting, right? Mm-hmm. Or the way of non-domination. This is really important. Wu Wei is emphasizing here the Wu, the nothingness. Don't do anything. And there's an element there to anarchism. Anarchism is a negation of government, but it also is an emptiness, right? One of the problems of this is that there are a few moments throughout the history of China where this allowed people to become bad mm-hmm. because they say, well, don't do anything about it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, don't, don't engage it. And when we get to the, the story of Jesus, I think that'll be interesting because he offers ways that are very practical of subverting the system through humor, through activism, that sort of thing. And I don't think it's inherent in Taoism, but there is a little bit of, for me, too little activism in, in some of the Taoist anarchists. Um, whereas I think we need to take direct action on occasion. I think we need to be activist on occasion when there's police brutality. Uh, depending on how that looks, it should be nonviolent indeed, but it should be active. There's also um, a really interesting concept called Ziran uh, in the Tao Te Ching. It's this idea of of its own or by itself. It's spontaneous. And this is really positive. Like you're letting people flourish on their own. Um, and there's also, of course, that concept we mentioned of poo or natural, naturalness. But the big danger happened a few times where the anarchists ended up actually allowing dictators and tyrants to, to take, uh, take their place. Hmm. I, mean, I would say dictators. I mean, a dictatorial authoritarian emperor. And the reason they would do it is because they would say, well, that's just natural. In the natural world, there's domination. Hmm. In the natural world, the males are stronger than the females. And therefore, because it's natural we will allow it. And I think that's something that I w- I'm, I'm, I'm including here at the end, some things that make me uncomfortable, mm-hmm. right? Not enough activism, maybe too much permission for people to be quote unquote natural as they're dominating others. Mm. Uh, and I think that's, that's associated with the nihilist Chinese anarchist tradition mm-hmm. where like there's, you know, no well, just given, ultimate no, meaning. Just given to your basic instincts or whatever without ever questioning right or wrong, right? Yeah. It's like more of our animal behavior than it is what I would say is our human behavior yeah. <laughs> or what should be our human behavior. Right. Like, and, and also, and this is the, this is kind of the key theme. What really is our, our natural resting state? 
you know, it seems that in human civilization, people are happiest in communities of about 150 people, small villages, where everybody knows each other, where they all have relationships, where they raise each other's kids, and where, as uh, Bao Jingyan said, there's neither lord nor subject. That was uh, one of the Chinese mm. Taoists, mm. A- anarchists. And um, I think that's the thing that we, as a family, are trying to bring as a message to, to our friends and family and anyone who wants to hear it, is that there is a way to not emphasize the lording over people and the mastery right. over people and yeah. controlling people, sexuality, their life, their beliefs. Well, and yes, when we start to want and look towards controlling other people or bringing other people in line with what we think is the right way, or uh, then it's distracting us from even being honest with ourselves, you know, of what, like, what is it that right now, Jeff, you do, do you need to do, you know, or Sydney, you know, and like, if you're, you know, anytime, anytime there's a bunch of people gossiping about somebody else, (laughs) chances are there's something inside a person, especially if they, you know, are making them unhappy. Right. So then they're going to go look to other other things to talk about. And Mm -hmm. so I think meddling in other people's business is something that I think we've made far too acceptable in society, (laughs) you know? And I think, uh, yeah, that's all like most people talk about, you know, it's crazy when Jesus was like being crucified. Wasn't he like, why would this happen to me? Yeah. Like at God. Yeah, yeah. No, th- oh, this like, is good. He's like, why would you do this to me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yeah. He's pushing up against Wait, God. Just- so he's definitely not believing in the daddy in the sky thing. Not in that sense. And I think that really does help point us to the the next conversation we'll have about mm. the, the Christian anarchism, which is some people think, oh, doesn't Christianity uh, demand the hierarchy? Well, maybe Christianity does. I think for the most part, but Jesus didn't because you're able to kind of like argue back against God. You go back to, um, you know, Abraham saying, Hey, like God, what are you doing here? Or Job going, Hey, what's going on? You know, that ability, even with a a, a conceptual God in the sky Mm -hmm. is really important in the literature to see that people can do that. And most of our young people aren't told that they could do that. Right. Got to push back. And I, Mm. I mean, I think that the, the, the huge problem is people that have power don't want to give it up. People that have money don't want to give that up. Hmm. And so it's, you know, how do you change a system without taking away the power from whoever currently has it? And then who wants to freely just hand that over? Because they also worry, well, if I'm not in power, then how will I be treated? Will Hmm. I have enough to survive? Will Hmm. I... And that's a real concern. That's a concern for us every day, right? Like we can, like we can say, "Oh, I want to be ethical with what I do for a living and so forth." But then we also then we got to ask, "How are we gonna? <laughs> how do you make it? money?" <laughs> you know, every sometimes every job you look at, you feel that there's like a downside, you know, and and so mm-hmm. it, it's just, I think, uh, you know, it's hard. It, you have to be discerning, right? And definitely see um, what's gonna be life giving and not. Yeah. Life killing. <laughs> yeah. So how we get there, there's going to be a journey. We, we're not sure we know if we get there by the end of this uh, season or by the end of our lives, but I'll tell you what. So wherever you are on the journey, though, we wish you deep peace upon peace. Let me meet your
thank you so much, friends, for joining us for this episode of the Protect Your Noggin podcast. You want to join in on the conversation? We'd love to respond to your questions or comments on a future show. You can record a message by going to protectyournoggin.org and clicking on the blue voice message button. And don't worry about getting it perfect since you'll have five minutes and a chance to preview your message before sending. You can also send an email if you're not comfortable with leaving a voice message. Please also follow us on Twitter at the PYNP and rate and review us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you found this show of any help, uh, why not share it with a friend? Until next time, peace upon peace, friends. But he said that wasn't any letter. He said I was going out of my mind. Not going out of your mind. You're slowly and systematically being driven out of your mind. Why? Why? That's because you found this letter low too much.